I'm Ginger Birkenbuehl. And I'm Esther Ikoro. And we're the hosts of the Honest Field Guide podcast. Entrepreneurship is no joke. The journey is full of anticipation, failure, hope, and disappointment. You'll make money and be totally broke at the same time. The Honest Field Guide podcast tells you the truth. We know being an entrepreneur is crazy hard and you will sometimes cry at dinner. Listen in to be inspired, laugh, and learn how to really thrive on your business journey. Hi, Ginger. Hey, Esther. How's it going? It's going awesome. Where are we still? We, we are We are actually in New York City. Yeah, in we are Chelsea. still in New York City. And it's this amazing city again. I keep saying that, but this is a place that if I had, you know, couple million dollars a month, I'd be living here for sure. A couple million dollars a month. Okay. That's what I need to live cool. here. But aside from that, last night I was walking through the streets of Chelsea at night and I love the anonymity of my experience, just being able to walk around in the dark at night. There's still people everywhere. It was midnight and it was beautiful. The lights were shining and glistening. I'd had a delicious meal, a wonderful cocktail. So who do we have here today? Exciting guest, Terry Johnson. Amazing CEO. Gorgeous, flowing, beautiful, smart entrepreneur. The owner of the Harlem Candle Company. Wow. Amazing, amazing. scents. Amazing smells. I have a bunch of her candles at home. Yeah, um, I can't wait to smell some. Oh, yeah. Her company is a luxury home fragrance brand specializing in scented candles inspired by the richness of Harlem. Founded in 2014 by travel and lifestyle expert Terry Johnson, the Harlem Candle Company is the manifestation of her love affair with fragrance, jazz, and Harlem Terry, welcome. Thank you for having welcome. me. What a great intro. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I am so grateful that you're here. Terry, you and I met um, a couple years ago. We were at Dartmouth. I love to say that. We were at Dartmouth together. Yes, we were. We were at Dartmouth. <laughs> we were at Dartmouth. And I was really struck by your presence and your grace and your um, prowess around your business. You were very interesting and had a plan and solutions. And again, another one of my super creative women entrepreneurs that I always admire. Um, and I'm really happy that you're here on our podcast, The Honest Field Guide. And we're really excited to talk to you about your company and your life and your business. Um, and so I kind of want to just kick this off by asking you, how did you create the Harlem Candle Company? I I can't say that I ever knew I would start a candle company. I just really love beautiful fragrances. And I, so I work still kind of as a travel and lifestyle expert, but I was trying to figure out, well, what's next? What What goes beyond this? Because I've traveled to I think 68 countries around the world. I've done, created so many different, you know, videos for different tourism boards and different brands. But I wanted to, to actually have something tangible, something physical that I could sell. And I was so busy selling myself and my video production services and and video experiences where people can, you know, experience the essence of these places 
through my content, but I just, I really wanted to figure out what was next. And I wanted to have something, I wanted to create something that was pretty and that smelled good. And I had no idea what that was going to be. So I just started experimenting, making candles in my kitchen. And I met a chemist who gave me my first set of fragrance oils. And he gave me some kind of guidelines around how to make candles, watched a bunch of YouTube videos and figured it out. I started selling them at these pop-up markets and these artisan markets. And then, of course, I had to brand it. Actually, when I first started, I called it La Maison des Bougies de Terry, Terry's House of Candles. And those are the candles that I made for friends and family and gifted them. And I, each candle had a story. So one was, you know, Fiora de Sicilia, so the flowers of Sicily. And so the, the, the essence of these flower of this, it was citrus and it was floral and it was spicy. So each one had a story. And after I gifted these to about 50 different people, I got so much feedback and everyone kept saying, Terry, oh my God, you're like the best person to start your own candle company because you love telling stories. You love beautiful scents. You've traveled to all these places. You can tell so many cool stories from around the world with beautiful scents and you speak different languages. You're like perfect for this. And I felt like, you know what? Why not? So then I kind of figured out, well, let me just see what I would name my candle company because La Maison des Bougies de Terry was not, didn't, no one in my family even speaks French. So they were just like, why would you call it that? So I decided to um, call it the Harlem Candle Company because I was making candles in my kitchen in Harlem. And the name was wide open. I, I searched. I was like, well, no one else has a Harlem Candle Company, so I guess I'm going to have the Harlem Candle Company. And then after I was able to trademark the name, I realized that if I'm going to use the name Harlem, I have to pay homage to all the people who made Harlem so great. And part of the reason why I love Harlem so much is its history. And I'm kind of obsessed with the Harlem Renaissance period. So people like Josephine Baker and Duke Ellington and Langston Hughes and James Baldwin. So I realized, well, I can actually make beautiful fragrances, have beautiful packaging, but tell stories of these people and pay homage to them. And also Harlem is changing so much. I also want all the new people coming to Harlem to realize or to know who these people are and to learn a little bit, a little bit more about them and to get, become familiar with you know, the names of the streets. Well, the reason why the street is named this, well, this is, you need to know, oh, and we have a candle. So I really just wanted to kind of make it full circle and and pay homage to these people and have an elegant, beautiful fragrance that people can have scenting their homes. I love it. Um, it's interesting. When we first met, um, you were talking about the influence of your father on your business, and you talked about his career. Can you talk a little bit about your father's influence on your business? And by extension, I'm wondering, did that influence your decision and confidence around entrepreneurship? So my dad, he's a he's an electrical engineer. Um, he's retired now, but he worked for Exxon for many years. And post-retirement, he retired early, like 55. So he he's just kind of bored. And he thinks what I'm doing is really, really cool. So I decided, well, if my dad's going to help me with my business, or I decided that because he's retired and he thinks what I'm doing is cool, maybe I can put him to work. <laughs> and so I had my dad, he was like, well, tell me what I can do. How can I help you? So I said, well, I need a logo. And I said, I want the logo to, for the Harlem Candle Company, I wanted 
to have the H that I want that to be kind of the main symbol. You know how Gucci has that G mm-hmm. H for Harlem. And I wanted on the inside of the logo to have like a flame, but not just any flame. I wanted it to, to represent like unity, community, and love. So if you take a close look at the flame, you'll see that it's a person with their arms going up like this. Mm-hmm. I know you guys can't see this, but look at the logo. And, and it, that's what he created. And he watched about 20 hours of how to create a vector image in Adobe Illustrator on YouTube. And he created my logo. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Are you serious? I swear to God. I'm trying to imagine like my my mom doing something like that. I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. So, um, you talked about so your dad was an electrical engineer. Um, did you grow up around any entrepreneurs? I did not. I grew up in Houston, Texas, and most of the people around where I grew up were engineers, astronauts, teachers, judges. Astronauts. Yeah, I'm from. Well, I'm from I know, Houston. I know. I'm just like I'm from Clear Lake, where literally <laughs> Houston. We have a problem. Our neighbors. We used to babysit like astronauts' kids, and yeah. So, <laughs> like, when are you guys coming back? I've been here for three years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there were no entrepreneurs really around me. So what was it about you specifically? Do you think that made you say, you know what? Because videos, you you're in the corporate machine a little bit. Right. So when people step out of that, there's a safety in that and there's a comfort in that. And entrepreneurs are always those people that are like, I need a little bit of edge. I need a little bit of adventure. What do you think it is about you that made you want to go on this adventure? I think this is probably a very standard answer for people like me, but I just did not fit in in corporate America. Actually, I fit in very well. I knew how to play the role, but I didn't feel good about myself because I knew that I should have been, I should be doing something else. And I knew that I was limited creatively. I I used to work for Accenture. That was my first job out of school. And I was doing management consulting where we would go into these companies and I would talk to all these employees and figure out what their job was. And then we'd figure out a system and replace their job. That's so exciting. A company. Yeah. With a a whole process. And I just didn't really like doing it. I liked meeting the people and hanging out with the people, but I wanted to do something, you know, with colors and and with, I I just knew, I I just knew I was supposed to do something different. Do you consider yourself a creative? Yes. Perfect. I do. And, but only until recently, because everyone kept calling me that. And I'm like, yeah, but I I have a a degree in business and I have a degree in marketing and I used to work for Accenture, you know, and I used to do marketing for this other small firm. And I just, I, but I, I actually really am. Yeah. And the more that I've gotten into my business, the more I realize how, how creative I am. I mean, I now design spaces. So I always say that business is the highest form of art because you're creating an experience that people walk into and is part of their lives and is tangible in all of these different ways. So you kind of breezed over this, but how did you meet a chemist? Because I know you babysat, you know, astronaut kids and stuff, but like, where do you just turn the corner and the guy's like, I can make you sense? How do you feel? He used to own a store in Harlem and I walked into the store and there were so many fragrance oils like just lined up against the wall. And I was really excited because I'd never been in a store where I could smell all of these different essences in their, you know, pure form. 
So I, w- I was like, I want to smell ylang ylang. I want to smell jasmine. I want to smell all these things. And so there was, a, at first, it was a, uh, a sales rep just helping me. And I asked so many questions and asked to smell everything. She finally went and got him. Wow. Uh, and he came out, and we were friends ever since because he saw a little bit of himself in me just being so curious and just wanting to know about the, 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 the smells of these places. And because I had traveled so much, I was familiar with the names of the scents. But I didn't know, I wanted to connect it. Oh, yes, the frangipani flower. That's the one that is all over Bali. And I wanted to just be able to connect. And that, he allowed it for me, you know, mm-hmm. and just opened my mind up. And he was really very in, instrumental in encouraging me to start a business. He would say, if I had your looks, your personality, your ability, your, your ability to network and put things together, he's like, I, you should be a millionaire. He would always say that you should be a millionaire. And he has an accent. He's originally from Mauritania. And I would say, yeah, but he's like, he, no and he, he would he's even like, bang no the but. table. <laughs> you should be a millionaire. If I had what you have, you should be a millionaire. That's what he would say to me. And I'm like, okay. And how did that make you feel, though? I mean, that give you that just sort of, I mean, did you feel like you're looking, you're in front of a psychic and, and he's reading, he's telling you your future? And so that, is that something that kind of gave you a little bit of um, mystery and superstition? Like, you know, he's right. I think it is going to happen. Did you start visualizing it and I manifesting did. it? I did. I did. And it, it has taken so many, you know, fun turns. Okay. And it just doesn't ever stop. It's, yeah, but I, I, his voice is in my head often. I love that. And I, I wanted to ask you, and this is something that Esther and I were talking about on the way here, because you're talking so much about scents and aromas and experiences and like the sensuality of, of the presence of smell. Um, how, why did you choose candles versus perfume or, you know, potpourri that you can find in Walmart? I mean, you know, why candles? And, and it, as Esther and I were talking, it is a really crowded market. I feel that it takes some courage to jump into this space. It is a crowded space. I really believe that I could create something that was unique. And really, mine was more focused on storytelling. And once I got the name Harlem Candle Company, I just felt like, well, this is one, it's the best neighborhood in the world. (laughs) <laughs> a little Harlem plug. Two, it is, there's just so much richness that has come from Harlem, from art to literature, poetry, music, dance, style. This is the place where so many people during the Harlem Renaissance period, so the 20s and 30s, they flocked from all over the country to Harlem to call Harlem home. And I feel like I'm a part of this new renaissance that's happening with artists, with entrepreneurs, with, you know, creatives in Harlem kind of making our mark. And I really, I, there's something, I, I'm a little nostalgic, but there's something about, you know, these people and what they left with us that I just wanted to celebrate. I really, really wanted to celebrate the legacy of a James Baldwin and Langston Hughes and Duke Ellington. You know what's really kind of freaky? I had already started the company, and we were going down to Florida to... to um, so my grandfather and his parents were being honored 
for their work in civil rights. And I was on the Florida State Archives website looking through a bunch of pictures. My mom sent me a link. She's like, you know, look at, look at these pictures. And it was really exciting because I got to learn a lot more about my grandfather. He passed away when I was three. Got to learn so much more about him. Do you know I found a picture of my grandfather in Duke Ellington? No way. Yes, I did. What? <laughs> yes. That is completely amazing. Yeah, it's because, mysterious. Yeah. It's, it's eerie. Grandfa- How did that make you feel? Did you get chills? I'm well, getting chills I just, now. I just knew. I said, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be doing you this. you got the signs. It's all the signs. Yeah. All the signs that come in. I yeah. believe in signs. Mm-hmm. I believe in messages and signs that, that are telling you you're on the right path. I mean, they come from, um, you know, they just come from other worlds. But yeah, the reason candles, the reason why I chose candles, um, one, I thought it was a lot easier to break into the market uh, with home fragrance versus just perfumes. Because think about people who launch perfumes. It's usually the new ones. Celebrities are behind them. Uh, And I I think think it it would have been a lot harder for me to make a name as a perfumer. One, I'm not a perfumer. I am so blessed because I work with some of the best perfumers in the world. They do the fragrances for Givenchy, Le Labo, Joe Malone. One of them just did Rihanna's latest fragrance. They're, they're amazing. So I get to work with those people. And they're able to translate all of my ideas along with all the research I've done about what Langston Hughes loved, which he loved his tobacco. Mm-hmm. So there's tobacco notes. He used to live in Mexico at a few points in his life, and he... Loved the incense burning in these really small, dusky, candlelit churches. There's incense notes in that. So it's it allows me to be able to take these symbols and things from their lives that that made them happy and put them into, you know, a fragrance that can perfume your home. Are you doing all this research yourself? I mean, what I what I'm what I'm hearing from so many entrepreneurs and small business owners like yourself, there's so much reading and research and writing and being in your own head and your own space and sort of, you know, just covering yourself with your information. Um, You're describing a creative development process that I just, I wish I could do it. I'm trying to understand how do you get all this information and turn it into a smell that does send me back to a place where I wasn't even born. I wasn't even alive then. You know, I'm like, I, I, I burned one of your candles. Um, one of them I just recently got was Renaissance. And I, I, felt to my, I thought to myself, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. I, I find it incredible. How do you, you know, you're talking about a conversation you're having with your, um, with your, 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 your community of people that help you create these scents. What, is that, what does that conversation sound like? I mean, because it's, I think to myself, as an art director and a creative director, I have to be able to hone my vision in my head and clearly articulate it so that it comes out exactly what's in my head. I mean, I may not be actually executing the work, which you're not. So how does that conversation take me? How did you get good at this? Oh, I think I, I'm still getting good at it. When you really love what you do and you really love fragrances, I, I think I was just born to do it. I really do. Mm-hmm. So... I used to, when I was a kid, I loved fragrance so much that I would make my own perfumes in the bathroom. I had no idea what I was doing, but my bathroom was a lab. And anything that 
as a, as kids, me and my sister, anything that we wanted to do, if I said, you know, I really like, I really want a microscope, I would get a microscope for my birthday or Christmas. And so I was able to to try different things. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up just being encouraged to whatever I want. I, Terry wants a microscope and a Petri dish for Christmas. That's what she got. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to just experiment and explore and then sometimes I had to take my projects in the garage because they were too much for the house. <laughs> wow, I'm hearing but that was always, Terry's an inventor. Yeah, I she was really, always doing doing some dissecting. I mean, I loved biology. I loved, yeah, I love those things. So I used to, not used to, but for my friends and, and my sister, they will not buy a perfume without me. I perfume shop because I will tell them what smells best with their body chemistry. Yep. Wow. I pick out perfume. So I've just always loved fragrances and I just know what feels good. So I think it's just a combination of just having that the intuition and the instinct and having a pretty good sense of, of, of smell and how it reacts and works. And then just having really talented perfumers who understand my vision and who are artists as well. And it's just a really fun collaboration. I want to be a part of this. It's summertime, you'd come around. I'd seen you once before. Waiting for a friend. How do you keep yourself from getting oversaturated with smell? Um, I love uh, perfumes, colognes, house smells, candles, things like that. I also have pretty intense allergies, but also from a creative perspective, when you have your head down and you're doing the thing that you love to do and you're describing it and you're immersed in it, sometimes things start to blend together. How do you reset? How do you cleanse your palate? That's a really great question. I travel or I go and do something completely different. Um, I recently started restoring vintage frames (laughs) and painting them. I just actually, uh, I antiqued a frame last night. I just do something different when I just want to get away from thinking about product development and the sense. I just do something different and Mm -hmm. it's so much fun. I paint nothing nice. I paint my walls. I'll paint my base. I'll just do different designs. Oh, you you should see what I've done in my house. It's really cool. I haven't shown anyone yet because there's a magazine that wants to do a, pro, a feature. But as soon as that comes out, I can't wait to share it. But I've done some really cool stuff in my... So I just paint and I, redes- I just design stuff that has I mean, nothing to do with candles. I mean, I think about people that, you know, taste wine and, and you know, whiskeys and things like that. And they do have to do things in between before they go to the next flavor. Um, but they do spend their lifetimes drinking. And um, there was someone that I was working with at Starbucks, and there are people that work at Starbucks, and their only purpose in life at Starbucks is to travel around the world and smell coffee beans. That's all they do. They do nothing else. So they really do honor their ability to determine the quality of a coffee bean by the way it smells. Wow. Yeah. That's a career. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Which is funny because coffee beans are what you use to cleanse your palate, your, your nose, your nose sometimes. Reset. Yeah. Um, so you made a candle for if Beale Street could talk. I did. We talk about supplier diversity a lot on this show, um, specifically about how small businesses can fit into supply chains of larger entities, specifically women and people of color who own businesses. How did, how did that come about? That was 
pretty fun project. Uh, so the studio Annapurna Pictures that did If Beale Street Could Talk, they've been a candle customer for maybe at least a year before they contacted me. And they knew that they were doing this film. They reached out to me in March. I think the film was released in November. They reached out to me in March and said, we'd love to talk to you about possibly doing a candle for the film. And I said, okay, this sounds cool. Uh, They sent me a copy of the book. I read the book a few times. And I struggled trying to figure out, well, what does this smell like? How can I capture the essence of the film or of of this novel and there were so few traces of smell where James Baldwin talked about smell. And I, I remember the second time I read the book, I got to the end and I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. Then I read, you know, the very back of the book and realized that at the time that James Baldwin wrote the book, he was living in a town called saint paul de vence in the Provence region of France, which is one of the most fragrant places on the planet. And then I said, well, he spent so much time in his garden. I was like, well, what did his garden smell like? Roses. There was a ro- rose de my growing wild in his garden. I said, okay, roses. And then I found out he really likes roses. And when friends would come, so many people have written about, you know, visiting James Baldwin. And of course, if you're going to write about your experience with James Baldwin, you have to talk about, you know, the, the, what, how it smells and how it looks. And if you're a good writer, you're and so they described his garden, and it was wonderful to, to really be able to connect the, the, the fragrance of his garden with his inspiration for the film, which was a, it's a love story. It's a romantic, you know, it, it's, a, it's a love story, and it's about the male and the female and the, you know, this, this, you know, the challenges that they had. And I wanted to have something that had a little bit of, like, juxtaposition. So you have the rose, and then you have the sandalwood, so the wood and the rose, and ugh, it's like the masculine and the feminine. And so that's what the essence of that candle is, roses and sandalwood. So branding is really interesting to me. We live in an age of immersive branding. Um, and we just spoke to Tina Clark on our podcast, who creates um, sound related branding um, for companies. Um, And smell is something that is so potent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you're using very specific words like sandalwood and rose. What other more abstract words do you use to describe scents and ambiance? I usually don't use more abstract words because no one would understand me. You're like happy. (laughs) They're like, okay. (laughs) No, but even the smell of ice. So I'm working on a project now. The smell of ice? Ice, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting, right? I have a... A sense of that because yeah. from glaciers that I visited. But mm-hmm. so I'm working on a, a project now, scenting a building. Yes, the Harlem Candle Company now scents buildings. It's coming soon. But we they wanted us to create the smell of ice and the smell of hay, but in a beautiful way, not like hay, like yeah. stinky horse poo and hay. No, hay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So. Yeah, I usually I, I don't say I don't describe it in in terms of things that people can't understand and people have never heard of because then you spend too much time explaining mm-hmm. what you mean. So you know, it's interesting. Um, I'm thinking about when I run into new assignments with clients and we have you know brainstorming sessions and strategy sessions. What in, is it like for you to be in a meeting talking about branding? an environment with scent, how does that creative process kick off? I mean, do you have a series of standard boilerplate questions that you ask or 
you know, what's happening? I mean, do you bring them into a room with sense blazing already? I mean, what is that like? No, honestly, so much of it just happens organically. I didn't, this company where I'm sensing their building, we're also doing a, a candle with them. And that's where... A where branded where, candle? Mm-hmm, it's going to be... It's a co-brand, yeah. It's a candle for a liquor brand. Astonishing. Yeah. So it started out just kind of being a candle inspired by whiskey. And then once we got in the room and the perfumer was there, I have a fragrance agent, he was there. It just developed. And so now it's going to be a lot more than just those things because they realized, one, that we were highly capable and that we understood exactly what they wanted and what they needed. And they they didn't even know they needed it until they were in this room. So, so much just happens, but I don't have, there's no standard. I don't have any procedures or processes. I Mm -hmm. just, things just happen and thank God it works. But I would like to have some procedures. I mean, but just getting back to that. So one of the challenges that entrepreneurs and small business owners have, they can't execute, but they also can't, you know, be sitting at a table in a room like that and strategize and then get to the place that you're at right now, right? So, um, you know, even being able to have very sophisticated conversations with C-suite people takes time and practice and skills, but it also takes extraordinary listening capability. You know, you're describing a process where you are saying that, you know, these things happen magically and organically, but it really doesn't happen magically and organically. I mean, there, there's it's these... I do believe you have to be in the right place at the right time. However, somehow you're saying they recognize we were capable. You didn't just sit there and they didn't figure it out. I mean, you killed it at this meeting. You know, you you had an ability to have these conversations and guide them. And I know in your head you had a a goal. I mean, I'm going to walk out of here with more than this thing. I mean, maybe that wasn't clearly in your head, but I have to imagine you have big dreams for where you need to go and where you need to be. And that's guiding everything that you're doing. Yeah, honestly. And you're not afraid and you're not afraid to say it. Come on, just give it up, Terry. Ginger, you know, (laughs) you're you're pushing me to say something that I can't say that I'm a hundred percent comfortable with admitting, but I I have a huge vision for my company. Yes, you do. Huge. But I can't say that consciously in everything that I do that I'm thinking of it. I, it's just – but I know I've wanted to scent buildings for the last few years. I didn't think coming out of this meeting that we were going to be scenting the building. I didn't think that. I actually was trying to sell them on not just – I mean, candle, we already, we're already rocking and rolling on that. I wanted to do a fragrance. I wanted to do a perfume. Because this perfumer that I'm working with who created what's going to be this, you know, candle, the way that she works is she's, everything starts out, she's a fine fragrance perfumer. Mm. So she started with the perfume version of what would, you know, be sold beautifully packaged as a perfume. And she had, and she had about 20 different versions. We narrowed it down to six that we presented but the versions that she gave us, we were I was wearing and just and I'm like, oh and each time I would smell there's one in particular, I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. So I was trying to sell them on a perfume. Cause, you know, I just 
I I will have my perfume one day. Do you want to know what's And really I would absolutely crazy? buy any perfume. <laughs> if you were sitting in front of me and doing that, I'd say, whatever you want, let's do yeah. it. I mean, it's just, you know, like I said, it's it's you know, what you're what you're involved in is 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 very it's a very sensual experience, you know. And I think that you're able to package that and present it in a way that when I look at this as a brand strategist, I see strategy and intention. Um, I can't help it. That's how I see things. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, I just I just love hearing that because you're moving and, you know, people can't really see what you're doing, but, you know, you're getting into the whole space of the scent and it's it's pretty remarkable. So you seem really confident and I can see that you have a pretty big vision for where you want to go and it seems like you've been operating in that mode um, since you were younger. So it's almost like, just ingrained in who you are. You might not be consciously thinking about it, but um, entrepreneurship, when we talk about it on here, a lot of times is a really mental game. So talk to me about a time that you felt really vulnerable in your business and in your creativity and what you were doing. And, and how did you, how did you process that? How did you deal with it? Actually, Ginger, this was after we left Dartmouth. I was at a point in my business where there was a lot of things happening. Bloomingdale's. They were like, yep, we want you. there. And then I applied to be a vendor or I applied for a store at Grand Central for the holiday season. And I got it. Like, so Bloomingdale's, having a store and literally doing everything by myself with the help of, of course, the perfumers and, and my manufacturing company. But it was just so much. So I think I I, ha- I can say that I just felt like, I don't know if I'm really going to be able to pull this off because it's a lot. All of the information is in my head. There's, there was no intern. There was no assistant. It was all on me. And sometimes it just takes so much time to train someone that it's not even worth it. You just do it. And so I've been operating in the mode of just do it. You don't need that much sleep. Just do it. So, and then also money because, you know, Going into a major retail store takes a lot of capital. So I just felt like, well, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources to manage all of these things. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. Thank God I got some money from my parents. Because finally they're like, oh, Bloomingdale's? Okay. But I honestly— I guess this is a real thing now. (laughs) You're on TV now? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, but I, I didn't really want any money from them before because I'm the one going off the beaten track. They paid for my whole life, my education, anything I wanted to do, study abroad, live in France. They paid all of that for me to have a really nice cush, cushy job mm-hmm. with 401k benefits and all of this extra fun, great stuff. And I said no to that. I didn't want to do it. So... I also wanted to prove to myself that I'm going to stick with this business because it's not my first business. I wanted to prove to myself that I got this. I can do it. So it was, I think, at the point of, well, hey, I'm going to open a store at Grand Central for the holiday season where there's millions of people coming through for this time period. Um, I'm launching in five different stores in Bloomingdale. So that kind of just made me feel like, hey, I think I'm, I think, I think... I'm on to something. I remember that time period as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking, strategizing around, you know, your brand and, 
you know, creating brand extensions. And it was really just the, the, the visual application of what you're doing, as well as launching you on digital platforms. Um, but I also remember you talking about capital and not wanting to incur debt, right? Um, this is a challenge for a lot of black businesses um, and women businesses in particular. The search for capital is hard and thin. Um, and there's a lot of companies that are offering us all kinds of money, you know, but it's expensive money. You know, it's not guilt-free <laughs> money. Um, what is your relationship with capital raising? Have you been able to do it? Um, do you, are you still in that mindset of, I don't want to incur any debt. I want to be a cash-based company, you know, no loans. What's, what's, your, what's your situation there? What would you advise other people in your situation that um, are growing a company in terms of debt and capital? I can't say that I would advise anyone to do anything that I'm any the way that I'm doing it. Don't listen to this mm-hmm. because I'm not. I don't know if I'm going about it the right way. It's working for me and where I am mentally about my relationship with money and the structure of my business. But could I have grown faster if I had, you know, capital investment? Of course, but. I didn't choose to do it that way. So right now I am working with an advisor who's helping me structure the business to where I can have an operations person because it's all of, I mean, the only way that this business is really going to grow, I have to scale it. I, there, I need staff. I am working now with two interns for the summer. Other than that, it's pretty much just me doing all the product development, working with an amazing graphic designer, great perfumers, wonderful manufacturing company. But everything that else that happens in between is, it's all, it's all just, it's, it's me and sometimes my dad. He's the um, chief, I gave him a title. What did I call him? The chief dad officer. Chief, well, I didn't call him that, but that's a good one. That'll be his next award. <laughs> I love your face when you talk about your dad. Um, you know, we've, we've talked to a lot of women business owners and they have, such diverse relationships with their fathers and they've been such huge influences on their businesses and their careers and their vision. Um, I'm excited that your father is your creative in chief. I mean, (laughs) do you know what's really funny? What? So when I send out newsletters, Mm -hmm. which we're getting better at the email marketing, I'll send out a newsletter and it's like, oh, we're, you know, we're doing a 4th of July sale. And then you send that, you hit send on the newsletter and you're like, campaign is out. 4,000 people have this inf- have all the info. And then I'll hear cha-ching on my phone. And I'm like, ooh, that newsletter worked. And I look, Ginger is my dad. <laughs> Do you know how many times this has happened? And I'm like, dad, <laughs> why? And, I'm like, and I'll call him. I'm like, dad, why? Is he well, responding to your newsletter? Not, not only is he responding, he's purchasing, getting his 10% off or getting, <laughs> getting the deal. He he's, done checking, this. he's checking the e-commerce pipeline and make sure it's still flowing and working right. If, you, I, if I were him. to go into my back end of Shopify, he's done this 15 times. <laughs> and I am, it's just, it's so funny. And every now and then someone is around me and they'll hear me say, dad. And they're like, oh, your dad ordered again first. Yep. <laughs> So speaking of Shopify, um, 
you have a candle company, candles come in glass generally, and you're talking about scaling and growing and operations and logistics. How are you dealing with shipping? So I have a fulfillment center. Great. So everything that is um, poured and packaged gets shipped on pallets to my fulfillment center, and they pick and pack everything. I, and they're based in New Jersey. When I first uh, started working with them, I actually went there and I showed, because prior to that, prior to last July, I was packing and shipping everything. So I went to the facility and um, worked with the team that was going to be packing and shipping my stuff, and I trained them on how to pack and ship, and not one time has anything arrived broken from them. Because I know, I was like, there has to be a lot of dunnage in the box. There has to be so much stuffing that when you shake the box, it doesn't move. Um, so I remember um, that because you were going through that when we were leaving Dartmouth. And I remember getting my first order candle and you called me up uh-huh. and you said, how does it look? <laughs> What is it when you open the box? You said, take a picture for me. And it was, you were asking, you know, I want to see what's happening here because you were trying new things. I was, um, yeah. Thank so you. So I just love your involvement with your company. I am so inspired by your journey from beauty to continuous beauty to a moment of, oh my gosh, I'm hitting it big now. What am I going to do? I'm standing on the mountain alone <laughs> to, you know, back to finally realizing and, um, Finding an advisor, which is, you know, that's tremendous. A lot of people don't go there. They want to control everything. They want to not stop doing every single little thing. So you've got some help. Um, it's really just congratulations, Terry. I'm, I'm just you. following you along and looking at your beautiful Instagram handle, which, by the way, what is your Instagram handle? My personal one is Travelista Terry. That's Travel, I-S-T-A-T-E-R-I. And my business one is Harlem Candle Company, spelling out the word company, Harlem Candle Company. And your website is? HarlemCandleCompany.com. Okay, terrific. So thank you. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I'm Esther Coro. And I'm Ginger Birkenbuehl. And we'll see you next time. The Honest Field Guide podcast is produced by Burke Creative, written and created by Ginger Birkenbuehl and Esther Coro. The podcast is recorded in the innovation and technology capital of the Midwest, Chicago, at Stomping Ground Studios in Ukrainian Village. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carroll. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only and only represent the views of Ginger Birkenbuehl and Esther Ikora. E.